and welcome to the 65th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm a little frustrated this week. Um, Last Friday, we did go drive the BMW i3, and it was fine. We really liked it, but uh, we were scared away by warnings not to buy the 2014 model year because BMW was still adjusting to the whole EV learning curve, I guess. Um, The hunt goes on there, but I was indeed thinking about a truck then, a very specific truck being sold by a guy just a couple of states away with whom I've been texting for the past week or so. Uh, I've been getting details about the vehicle, but it's been very tough like getting specifics from this guy, and he hasn't sent a single picture of the interior or the undercarriage despite multiple requests from me. He assures me it's had over $2,200 of work done to the engine, conveniently by the previous owner, making uh, it, uh, meaning he probably doesn't have any service records to prove that. Um, we're talking about a 200,000-plus mile vehicle from the late 1980s here, and I need some reassurance that the couple of grand I spend on it isn't just going to wind up digging me a much deeper money pit. So... I wasn't feeling too positive about the deal with this guy, and then I went and Googled him. Uh, In an age where you can find out so much about people online, there's a really big incentive to not be a jerk to others. But guess what? This guy totally is. Uh, There was an entire seven-page thread about him cheating a mechanic out of uh, money for an old BMW that he actually texted me about. Uh, This was on a BMW forum. Uh, Then there are court records of his having been sued by a bank for defaulting on his home loan. His LinkedIn shows that he can't hold down a job and works as a business consultant, which is just about the vaguest job description you can have. What frustrates me most, though, is is the whole shadiness, like not answering questions of mine, repeatedly saying to the guy on the BMW forums that he would pay him for the work that he did, but never actually doing so. It just smacks of someone trying to to take advantage of other people for their own benefit. And there are undoubtedly some suckers who will fall for it. But in the internet age, that makes it tougher to hide. And I'm really glad I did my research on this. Sadly for this guy, I'm not a sucker. But sadly for me, the search for an old truck goes on. Oh, well, here's your top story. As Tariff Watch continues, I have 16 browser tabs open right now just on different reports about the effects of proposed tariffs on companies just from this past week. Um, On Tuesday, Donald Trump tweeted that, uh, quote, we are finishing our study of tariffs on cars from the EU in that they have long taken advantage of the U.S. in the form of trade barriers and tariffs. In the end, it will all even out and it won't take very long, end quote. Uh, what exactly even out means is is very much under debate, um, but what isn't being debated is the fact that nobody outside the Oval Office wants any sort of tariffs to happen, and that all projections suggest a really bad outcome for everybody. Um, having previously threatened as much as a 25% tariff on vehicles assembled outside the U.S., uh, Trump changed his mind a bit again on Monday, saying that maybe just a 20% will do. Um, what it will actually do, though, is, is raise prices by quite a lot. 
Um, assuming the 25% tariff, uh, consumers uh, to whom the additional costs would be passed would face an average of $5,800 added to every car, totaling about $45 billion in extra taxes paid every year. This is applied to all vehicles, considering that the steel and aluminum tariffs already in place and anticipated tariffs apply to auto parts used to assemble cars within the U.S., uh, German luxury vehicles would be the model's hardest hit by this, uh, since their high prices mean that the tariffs would drive their costs to consumers to truly untenable levels. Um, this not only means fewer sales, it could mean we start seeing manufacturers start withholding their cars from the American market. According to Reuters, the tariffs would destroy the business case for niche market vehicles like convertibles and sports cars, which are so sold in low volumes and for high prices. Um, if companies can't sell them and they can't make any money on them, why produce them? Or at the very least, why send them to America? Hell, even the very American Toyota Camry, the best-selling car in the country, would see its price increase by $1,800. Don't take our sports cars from us. Um, ostensibly, these tariffs are meant to harm German manufacturers, which they would, to the tune of about $5.24 billion a year, according to analysts at Evercore ISI, but it'll hurt other manufacturers, including American ones, especially Fiat Chrysler, whose profits would take an $886 million hit if the 25% tariff is enacted. That's because cars like the Jeep Renegade, the very American Jeep Renegade, is <laughs> built in Italy. Uh, but it'll create jobs, right? Well, the Council on Foreign Relations uh, estimates that the 25% tariff will actually cost the country between 18,000 and 40,000 auto industry jobs just by the end of next year as companies look for ways to lose less money. And that's the most conservative study. The American Action Forum estimates a net decrease of 157,000 jobs, while the Peterson Institute for International Economics is even more dire, suggesting 195,000 industry jobs would be cut. And that study goes on to suggest that if other nations retaliate with tariffs, as is expected, the total industry loss would be around 624,000 jobs. While this tariff isn't yet in place and may not be enacted, if anyone can talk any sense into Trump and his advisors, the tariffs already placed on aluminum and steel are already wreaking havoc on American companies. As after their metals were taxed, the European Union replied with tariffs of their own on blue jeans and Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Oh, shit, they probably would have taxed apple pie too if that would have been feasible. Uh, unfortunately, Europe is Harley's second biggest market, where they sold more than 40,000 bikes last year. And an increase of between 6 and 31% uh, taxes in Europe means that their bikes are going to run an average of $2,200 more expensive, which is a tough sell. Uh, they were already hurting from the steel and aluminum tariffs, which caused costs to rise 15 to $20 million, And the tariffs added an additional 35 to $40 million to that just this year. Next year, they expect to lose more like 80 to 100 million. To counteract this, Harley announced that they would move some manufacturing to Europe to avoid tariffs, which is sort of the exact opposite effect I think Trump was hoping for with these taxes. Uh, previously, having called Harley a true American icon, Trump engaged in one of his wildly incoherent tweet storms, ending with a threat that the company would lose their aura and be hit with taxes like never before. Well, uh, they already are, and it's all your fault, buddy. Um, honestly, the most terrifying part 
to me of all of this is, is the fact that while we're over here slamming doors and storming off to build walls, China China announced this week that after July 28th of this year, they will roll back foreign ownership restrictions on joint ventures in the country. After decades of requiring country companies from other countries to find a Chinese company to take the lead when that company wanted to sell their cars in China, the country is saying, hey, hey, uh, Tesla, BMW, everyone else, uh, I, I know you're getting kind of a raw deal over there in America. Why don't you come have a seat over here? We're, we're keeping it nice and warm for you. Uh, when even Toyota has to issue a public comment stating that it's 137,000 employees in the U.S. don't pose a national security risk, you know something is backwards. And what that is, it is progress. What, what I think in many people's mind made America so great was its role as the guiding force in international commerce, politics, and trade. Uh, now we're seeing China step up and challenge us for that role. And instead of forging ahead as we have... We're stepping back and saying, hey, that's fine, fine, do, you know, do whatever you want. We're fine on our own. The problem is we're not really fine on their own. In this situation, it's we the people who pay the price, whether it's through increased costs or restricted choices. Trade wars are the true enemies of automotive enthusiasts and consumers in general. Here are some headlines. <laughs> A few months ago, I mentioned that Volkswagen had designed an all-electric vehicle specifically to tackle the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Well, the annual event was held last weekend, and the IDR not only completed the run and not only beat the electric car record, it shattered every record. Piloted by Romain Dumas, the car hurtled up the hill, climbing 12 miles into the sky and completing 156 turns in 7 minutes and 57 seconds, a full 16 seconds ahead of the previous record and the first ever time under 8 minutes. It did it with a comparatively paltry 670 horsepower, but with an aerodynamic shape that just stuck it to the road like glue, allowing for ridiculously quick cornering speed. For comparison's sake, the previous EV record held by Reese Millen was 8 minutes and 57 seconds, exactly a minute slower, set in a car with more than 1,500 horsepower. The all-time record used an 875-horsepower uh, gasoline-powered Peugeot 206. Uh, that was the previous record. Uh, but while electric racing is definitely coming of age right now, sadly you won't ever be able to buy an IDR. So for now, you can just pretend your commute is the Pikes Peak Hill Climb and absolutely flog your Nissan Leaf. Uh, many moons ago in February, I brought news of Neuro, an autonomous vehicle company founded by former Waymo engineers who were approved to test in California. Well, now they have something to test, which is a grocery delivery service partnership with Gro Kroger, America's largest grocery store change, Kroger. Um, no doubt, in a bid to fend off competition from the likes of Amazon Prime Pantry, uh, Kroger will begin a pilot program in an unannounced market, but likely to be somewhere in California, since that's where Neuro is licensed to test, to determine the viability of autonomous grocery deliveries. Customers will use Kroger's ClickList app to fill their digital carts with groceries, and after the order is complete, employees will go around and fill an actual cart with your groceries and put them into a neuro vehicle, which will then drive to your house, enabling you to continue your uninterrupted Twitch streaming while you play Fortnite or something, whatever you do. Um, it all sounds pretty cool, but mark my words, 
the grocery store is one of the last things to be eliminated before all of society collapses into hermitude. Uh, over in Britain, BMW's special res representative Ian Robertson suggested this week that he doesn't think fully autonomous cars will ever be allowed on roadways because governments will never accept computer systems that make life or death decisions. This has sort of been one of the perennial questions for automotive cars. At some point, circumstances will undoubtedly create a situation where an autonomous vehicle is incapable of maneuvering itself to avoid a death, either of a pedestrian or of a passenger. And the dilemma for programmers of self-driving cars is how to choose who dies and who lives. Uh, this seems an especially heavy burden to apply to people who went to school for computer science, not philosophy or uh, witchcraft. Um, and I think they c he could be right that these decisions will be left to the humans in the car. And um, imagine that shock. One second you're watching HDTV on your dashboard, next you're asked which pedestrian you would rather murder. Yikes. Uh, my mind was temporarily melted this week by a new proje project from DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, uh, who unveiled a new technology that allows a military vehicle to transition from a round, wheel-having truck to a tracked all-terrain beast. It's a bit hard to describe, but basically the system uses a special wheel that changes shape, with a strand of rubber around the outside in place of a conventional tire. The wheel can be round to achieve higher speeds, or the interior of the wheel can articulate into a triangle with just the outer rubber band moving, like in a tracked tank or APC. It's super trippy to watch, but very cool that this is even possible. Uh, what's next? Flying cars? Uh, oh, that was last week. Um, gas prices frequently make little sense going up and down based on speculation and the whims of some of the same people buying Rolls-Royce Cullinans for their sand-driving capabilities. Uh, to see prices at the pump, pump fluctuate wildly within a day is not strange, and I think most of us just chalk it up to the bogus market. But in England, something far more nefarious has been afoot. Fairfuel UK revealed that recently uh, uh, gas stations have scored to the tune of 500 million pounds in opportunistic profiteering, or basically skimming some money off the top of each fill-up by charging a price above what the market calls for. The, this estimates to have charged drivers about 200, two, two £2.50 per fill-up more, which, if you fill up every week like I do, is about £130 per year, which is quite a lot. Germany and France are much fairer, and some UK members of Parliament have called for an independent regulatory body to monitor the shenanigans at stations. What with Brexit and all on their plates, I can't imagine this being addressed too quickly, though. Uh, speaking of British gas stations, uh, British Petroleum, or Beyond Petroleum, or whatever BP's actual name is, they announced this week the purchase of Chargemaster, the UK's largest electric vehicle charging network operating 6,500 stations in Britain and 50,000 stations across Europe. BP will install 150 kilowatt fast chargers, which are capable of delivering 100 miles of range in just 10 minutes at all of its stations in the UK, vastly expanding the charging network and further minimizing range anxiety. While the company acknowledges that many EV owners will charge their vehicles at home, they think there will still be a place for filling stations in the future to provide more charge at a significantly faster rate. 
After all, it's not like people are going to be installing these mega expensive, mega powerful chargers in their homes. So I think they're really onto something there. After conquering Britain, BP Chargemaster will move on to Germany and China, where the grass is significantly greener for EVs than it is here in the U.S. Um, this comes after BP invested heavily in FreeWire Technologies, another fast charger maker, and announced a collaboration with Nissan Renault Mitsubishi Alliance to develop better battery technology. At this rate, it won't be beyond petroleum, but like battery power that BP stands for. Tesla is, of course, in the news again this week, and not for a good reason. Um, their cars, for some reason, contain a sketchpad in the gigantic iPad-like center display for you to tool around on when you're waiting for your spouse to get dressed, I guess, and if you don't have an actual iPad. Uh, one of the sample images they use in this app is that of a unicorn farting into a pipe that powers the car. Um, it's a crude drawing, but it's apparently a blatant copy of artwork on a mug that founder Elon Musk has, which was created by a guy named Tom Edwards, whose daughter discovered this week that her dad's work had been used without his permission. Rather than do the right thing and offer fair compensation, and actually the right thing would have been licensing the artwork in the first place, Elon responded in tweets saying that Tom should be grateful for all the exposure he provided by tweeting his mug, and alleged that the company gained no monetary benefit from the drawing. It's true that nobody's going to go out and buy a car because it has a farting unicorn picture in it, but that's beside the point. When you use somebody's artwork without their permission in anything, that's called stealing, and the company that opens all its patents for other manufacturers to use should know a little something about intellectual property. Yet here we are with another scandal because Tesla can't be bothered to do things the right way on a consistent basis. And they wonder why they can't seem to hang on to people. If you guys like watching car videos on YouTube, which of course you do, you're listening to this show, you need to be subscribed to The Straight Pipes. It's a couple of dudes from Toronto who are impossible to dislike because they are, one, Canadian, and two, real car guys. In any case, they have a couple of videos where they semi-scientifically test Android Auto versus Apple's CarPlay. And I won't spoil it for you, but it's interesting to see the differences and how far CarPlay has come in just a year's time. In any case, AAA's Foundation for Traffic Safety published the findings of a study this week that, de that declared both CarPlay and Android Auto were safer to use than uh, comparable infotainment systems from manufacturers. The study found it was 24% faster to make a phone call with the smartphone systems and 31% faster to navigate to a destination. Unless you're trying to find an address in Dayton, Ohio. That's uh, an inside joke. Uh, I'm firmly on Team Yakub here, uh, being the owner of a Galaxy S7, but my phone has gotten so slow that sometimes it just plugging it in locks it up, and I have to plug it into my GTI to use Android Auto. So I've gone without using it in my car for the most part. It's also probably a good thing that the system is uniform across cars, which would make it a shorter learning curve to get used to in new vehicles. Besides, with manufacturers constantly changing the location of the gear shifter, and I'm looking at you here, BMW i3, um, who has time to learn a new infotainment system? <laughs> my, my FM radio presets actually still haven't been set. Um, 
longtime listeners may remember, but I'm a pretty huge soccer fan, and uh, one of the biggest it things in football right now is using recycled plastic in jerseys and shoes. Adidas even unveiled a third jersey for my club, Manchester United, using exclusively ocean-sourced plastics, and it looks really slick. Well, automakers are catching on here too, and Volvo is pledging to have 25% of its in-vehicle plastics being made from recycled materials by 2025. Currently, only around 5% of plastics are recycled at Volvo, and you can bet that their rate is probably higher than most manufacturers. Hopefully this trend will catch on because apparently 8 million tons of plastic waste find its way into our oceans every year. So the more we can do to conserve and reuse the stuff, the better. In fact, the United Nations say that there hasn't been this much plastic in the ocean since Baywatch was canceled. Hey, you guys remember Faraday Future, the company that made the definitely totally real FF91 that was supposed to be a Tesla Model S killer that never really materialized? Well, after losing their factory in Vegas and half their workforce, they managed to pull in around $2 billion in investments from Evergrande Health, which just cleared the U.S. Committee on Foreign Investments this week. Why the health branch of a company would want to obtain 45% of a car brand is a question I'm not really equipped to answer, but it apparently came with strings attached intelligently. Um, after a generous $800 million upfront, Faraday Future will have to reach certain benchmarks to unlock the two additional installments of $600 million each, which, yeah, sure, anything's possible. Uh, in completely unrelated news, this podcast is brought to you by Evergrande Health, the best Chinese company for health stuff in the world. Surely that's worth a couple mil, right? Um, the newly formed Car Connectivity Consortium, made up of around 70% of vehicle manufacturers as well as digital device makers like Apple, Samsung, LG, and Alpine, have unveiled plans this week to make car keys obsolete. In their place will be something you already carry with you everywhere, your phone. Uh, in theory, the NFC or RFID tech in your phone is already more complex and therefore secure than most car keys, so it would mean cars are less hackable and thus less stealable. Um, this will also permit easy drivership transfer, like in the case of car sharing, which manufacturers accept as the future, at least for some people. Um, this comes at a time of near-market saturation for smartphones, but also at a time when the role of smartphones in our lives is being widely questioned for being unhealthy. Do we want everything in our lives to revolve around a phone? And what happens if you break your mobile device while you're out? Can you no longer drive home or to the store to get your phone fixed? You can't hail an Uber, you can't get a Lime bike, or text a friend either— I guess this means that if you break your phone in the future, you are destined to die alone in a parking lot somewhere, which I think will be really obnoxious for trying to find spots close to the doors of shops. Please die somewhere else, people. Um, I think everyone is taught from an early age that crime does not pay, and that's pretty much true unless you happen to make armored cars. And I'm not talking those like money-hauling bank trucks. I'm talking about bulletproof versions of otherwise-looking, normal-looking cars. Um, sales are booming right now in Mexico, where a staggering 25,000 murders were reported in 2017. It's no wonder so many of them want to come to the relative safety of America. Um, the Mexican Automotive Armor Association, which is apparently a thing, um, reports a 10% rise in the sale of armored vehicles this year, which is nothing compared with the 25% rise in Brazil. 
Audi, BMW, Mercedes, and Jeep all make factory armored vehicles in Mexico, 80% of which are not sold to governments but sold to private parties hoping to avoid being shot or kidnapped, which is depressingly common. You gotta feel for these people. The violence isn't a joke down there, and neither is the price of these armored cars, which command thousands above their non-armored versions. The mantra of get rich or die trying has never been more true than it is in Mexico right now. Now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless brand new. you might see me in my whip with my in news that just couldn't possibly be more French if it tried, automaker Renault has partnered with Pierre Hermé to create a macaron-themed Twingo called the Renault Twingo PH Macaron. For almost 20 grand, you get a standard Twingo with a fun pinstripe, some PH badging, and seats that are the same colors as some macarons apparently made by this famous Pierre guy. There will only be 50 made, and there's apparently already a waiting list, which I would normally point out is absolutely ridiculous if I didn't actually kind of want one myself, uh, just because it is so ridiculous. Um, the final Dodge Demon and Viper sold this week for a million bucks as a pair, but Dodge isn't finished making ridiculous and excessive cars since the regular 707-horsepower Hellcat is so lame and underpowered now. Uh, Dodge has taken the Demon's engine, detuned it, and put it in a Charger uh, or Challenger, and the result is the Hellcat Red Eye, which is a stupid name, but it also has a stupid amount of power, uh, 797 horsepower and 707 foot-pounds of torque, to be specific, which is less than the Demon's 840, but still enough to propel the car to 60 seconds in just... Th or 60 seconds. Propel the car to 60 miles per hour in just 3.4 seconds uh, through its 8-speed gearbox. Uh, somehow the EPA has bestowed this car with a 22 miles per gallon highway rating, um, but if you were to happen to find yourself in a place where you could sustain the car's 203 mile per hour top speed, you would empty the entire tank in just 11 minutes. You will have gone 37.2 miles in those 11 minutes, but I guarantee you it'll at least feel like much longer. Um, McLaren took a moment this week to vent about how stupid the horsepower wars are, as evidenced by the aforementioned Hellcat Red Eye, and how the company thinks the next great race will be to lighten cars and develop techniques to remove the pounds and improve power-to-weight ratios. Then they went and came out and announced the 600LT, the successor to the 570S, which comes with 30 more horsepower. Granted, it's also 200 pounds lighter than the 570, and the LT stands for Long Tail, a legendary treatment originally applied to the McLaren F1 GTR to make it a nearly unbeatable racing vehicle. Um, it does actually have a longer tail, almost three whole inches more, uh, to accommodate some better aerodynamics and some giant fins in the rear diffuser. Although we don't have performance figures yet, the 570 did 0 to 60 in 3.2 seconds, and a better power-to-weight ratio will undoubtedly have this thing pushing that three-second mark. Production will begin in October, which should you give you enough time to start selling some plasma, but probably not enough to satisfy the $240,000 price of entry. Um, if you like spending a bunch of money and being driven around, but think a Rolls-Royce or stretch limo is a little too gaudy, 
Uh, you have a new option, compliments of none other than Toyota. Uh, the new Century is certainly the right car if you also like a bit of old school in your new vehicle because it looks like it has all the trappings of Kim Jong-un's presidential vehicle, which is to say it looks like a luxurious vehicle built in a place where time stopped right around 1960 and has remained that same date ever since. Uh, the Sentry is entirely hand-built, including the Phoenix logo for the hood, which takes six weeks to engrave. Can you imagine being the person assigned to that job? Um, anyway, this is apparently the most popular car to be chauffeured in in Japan, so I'm going to look for any excuse to make that happen next time I'm in Tokyo, which will undoubtedly be not as soon as I would like. Um, also from Toyota is the new Crown, which will also be only available in Japan. While you would love to be driven around in the century, uh, if you ever hail a taxi in Japan, it is very probably an old Toyota Crown, which is one of the most popular taxis in the entire eastern world. Uh, the new model is the 15th generation of this car and uses Toyota's common TNGA architecture with a front engine and rear, or all-wheel drive. Uh, significantly, it's Toyota's first fully connected car, with all new crowns coming with a communications device allowing it to talk to other vehicles, and a Toyota HQ so they can push out over-the-air updates. I would expect this thing to become a lot more common before too long. Um, finally this week, uh, images and specs leaked for the Aston Martin DBS Superleggera, um, glossing over the question of why a British manufacturer would use the Italian word for super lightweight in its name, the car is, of course, gorgeous, um, but unfortunately continues the recent trend among all manufacturers to make the front of the car 100% grill. Um, it's massive on this car, and I cannot help but think that it would have been even more beautiful if they had just toned down the grill a bit. True to its name, it has lost some weight, 160 pounds to be exact, but creates 400 pounds of downforce with some tweaked designs to that gigantic grill, uh, the diffuser, and the undercarriage. It'll get a 5.2-liter V12, producing 715 horsepower through an 8-speed auto transmission. This gets the car to 60 in the same 3.4 seconds as the ridiculous Hellcat Red Eye with 80 fewer horsepower. But uh, don't come looking for bargain speed here like the Dodge, though. The DBS Superleggera will start at three hundred grand, and no, I'm not crying. It's just, it's just really humid in the studio right now. Uh, um, obituaries. Um, Alfa Romeo, makers of very nice cars that are a blast to drive when they're capable of leaving the dealership's service yard, are killing off the 4C Coupe, which is their small, moderately expensive mid-engine sports car. Not to fear, though, if you want a temperamental little Italian sports car, you can still get the convertible version, or you can go live anywhere other than the U.S. and Canada and still buy the Coupe. Or you can get any number of other vehicles that also drive well and have better reliability but lack that alpha flair. And by flair, I mean the terrifying worry of if you'll be able to make it to your destination without being engulfed in flames first. Yeah, excitement. Also dead this week is Asimo, the lovably cute but clunky humanoid robot from Honda, which they made, I guess, because they could. Appearing an astonishing 18 years ago, Asimo was a fun experiment in robotics from a company generally devoid of fun things. 
the research and technology that went into Asimo will not make its way into future iterations of robots, but will be integrated into future autonomous vehicles and physical therapy, which, okay. Um, but it's sort of comforting to know that part of this happy little robot who got to play soccer with Obama and tragically fell down the stairs once during a live presentation will live on in our future Honda cars. We've all fallen down the stairs, buddy, but none of us get to be immortalized in vehicles forever. Rest in peace, Asimo. Finally this week, uh, that's it for our show. Uh, thank you for listening, and thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I haven't decided what car I want to feature at the end of this week's show, so I'm probably just going to go browse YouTube until I find something I like. Um, probably won't take that long. Uh, if you think you know what it is, tweet me your guess um, at Always Drive on Twitter. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. Thank <laughs> you.